Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer, and I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And I'd like to begin this podcast by turning to Genesis chapter 3 and looking at verses 1 through 7. That's Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. There the Bible tells us, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. My friends, in this long ago time about which we have just read, when man transgressed the law of God for the first time, he fell prey to the curse of sin and right along with it, in fact included in it, he fell prey to a number of emotions that he had not known before. Never before this time had man's brow been creased with the lines of anxiety. Never before this time had the feelings of fear, sorrow, and guilt sullied and burdened his heart. When that first transgression occurred, man came to know these emotions for the first time. Satan had overcome his first human victims. He had told his first lie to them. He had acted in his role of tempter for the first time with man. The truth is that we can only find relief from the curse of sin by obedience to the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And I would like to suggest that we can only find relief from the emotions of sin in the same way. My friends, let's begin by considering guilt. The guilt that results from sin is, in one sense, part of the curse of sin. But in another sense, it is an emotion. There are two aspects of guilt. There is the fact of guilt, and there is the feeling of guilt. Now, the fact of guilt is absolute. Either you are guilty or you are not. But the feeling of guilt is relative. There can be no mistake concerning the fact of guilt. This occurs when man transgresses God's law. Man may not be aware of the fact of guilt, 
but whether they are aware of it or not really makes no difference. It is still there and will continue to be there until they come to God for pardon. You can see that it is absolutely essential that men come to realize that they are guilty in God's sight. If men do not realize the fact of their guilt, then they will take no steps to remedy their situation. On the other hand, there is the feeling of guilt, and what an awful feeling it can be. The feeling of guilt is a terrible, gnawing burden of emotion. Who among us as children did not do something wrong and have it go undetected? Nobody knew, only to turn around and tell our parents because we could not stand the feeling of guilt. Our conscience would not let us alone. Now we know that we cannot depend upon our feelings all the time. Whether a feeling is right or wrong depends upon whether or not the conscience has been properly chained. An improperly trained conscience can tell us to feel guilty when we are really innocent, or to feel innocent when we are really guilty. But nevertheless, guilt is a powerful emotion. I think of Paul's statement in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. He said, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. I need to emphasize that it is the fact of guilt that condemns a man, not the feeling. The wages of sin is death, according to Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. And all who reach the age of knowing the difference between what is right and what is wrong do sin. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 makes that clear. So all people are affected by the fact of guilt and most of them by the feeling. But we can be set free of both the fact and the feeling in the same way. Romans chapter 6 verses 17 and 18 tells us, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Release comes through obedience to the doctrine of Christ. Consider with me also the sorrow that comes as a result of sin. Now I know that many of the sorrows in this world are self-inflicted. The drunkard's sorrow are the result and the inevitable direct consequence of his sins. But that is not the kind of sorrow that I'm really talking about. I'm talking about the sorrow that must have burdened Adam when he realized that he had disappointed his father, when he realized that he had lost so much. I'm talking about the sorrow that David felt after his sin with Bathsheba had been so powerfully pointed out to him by Nathan the prophet. David wrote in Psalm 51, verses 1 through 5, Be gracious to me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the greatness of thy compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, I have sinned, and done what is evil in thy sight, 
so that thou art justified when thou speaks, and blameless when thou dost judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. That last verse is an example of hyperbole. David exaggerating to express the tremendous sorrow he felt over what he had done. I'm talking about the kind of sorrow felt by Peter after his denial of the Lord. How heart-rending that sorrow was. Looking at Luke chapter 22, verses 60 through 62, we are told, And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. That is the sorrow that I'm talking about. The realization of the condition that we are in. The understanding of how severely we have let the Lord down. That feeling of utter despair. Sometimes men in sin do not realize this sorrow until they hear the gospel and are made aware of their lost and completely undone condition. This is the sorrow that we see bring tears to the eyes of so many when they render obedience to the gospel. This is the sorrow that prompts a person to exclaim, Lord, forgive me. This is the sorrow Paul spoke of in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, when he wrote the following, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow works repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world works death. The weight of this sorrow can be taken away and replaced by joy and peace through obedience to the gospel of Christ. My friends, anxiety is a daily companion of modern man and has always been present in man's life since the first sin. It truly is amazing how many try to lead what can only be called a precarious existence, anxious that they might die knowing that they are lost, and all the while doing nothing about it. As was the case with sorrow, a person may not know the anxiety of sin unless he or she has been made to realize their desperate state. All anxiety that man knows is a consequence of sin, either directly or indirectly. I know that before sin entered the world, Adam and Eve did not know anxiety, not about food, clothing, shelter, or their souls. It was only after sin that they became anxious about these things. All we have to do is turn to Genesis 3, to the statements that God made to Adam and Eve after they had sinned, to see that this is so. For instance, look at verses 16 and 19. It says, To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your faith you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, 
because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. My friends, through obedience to the gospel, this emotion can be taken care of as well. Certainly through salvation, the anxiety we feel over the destiny of our souls can be removed. And if we truly believe Jesus, so will the anxiety of the temporal things of this life. Jesus spoke directly to this issue in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 34, Jesus said, Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And my friends, let's consider also fear. One of the earliest emotions experienced by man was fear. He had sinned, and he was afraid of God. Once again, from Genesis chapter 3, we read in verses 8 through 10 the following. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. How terrible and tragically sad that passage is. Love had turned to fear. Adam had been the recipient of so much. He walked glorying in his creator. Then, suddenly, he was consumed with fear and sought to hide from a God that he could not hide from. Men today have a lurking fear of falling into the hands of the living God, and rightfully so. The Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 31, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This fear, like Adam's, is the result of sin. In obedience to the gospel, man is freed from the fear of eternal death. He continues to respect God and to be aware of God's goodness and severity, but his gripping fear is turned to anticipation and reconciliation. Finally, none of us is a stranger to the emotions of guilt, sorrow, anxiety, and fear. When each person makes his entrance into this world, it really isn't very long before these feelings are introduced and may become among his constant companions. In a very real sense, everyone born into this world is an Adam. Each of us were once as sinlessly perfect as Adam was before he sinned. The meanest, lowest, vilest criminal was once pure in the sight of God, as pure as the freshly fallen snow. But in the same manner, each of us has the same chance Adam had. And like Adam, at some point each one of us falls. That has been the case of all men, except one. And in that one who did not fall is the hope for our salvation. Jesus was sinlessly perfect. He did not need to die for his own sins because he had none. 
but he died for us to free us from the curse of sin to remove from us the awful emotions that sin places upon our hearts he died to give us a chance he died to give us hope my friends the choice is ours live with guilt sorrow anxiety and fear or have them removed by obedience to the gospel of Christ. To me, what one should do in such a situation is a no-brainer. Believe in God. Repent of your sins. Confess your faith in Jesus as the Lord and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of your sins. Rise from that water of baptism to walk in a new life, a new creature born again, and on the road that leads to heaven. Things to think about. Thanks for listening.